Bibles this morning, let's turn to the text for this morning's message. The text for this morning will be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians in chapter 10. It's good to spend some time away and to refresh, but it's always good to come back to be with all of you. So let's stand together as we read the text for this morning's message. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to begin in verse 3 and read down through verse 5. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5. Paul writing here to the church of Corinth, and he says in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Let's bow our heads. Father, I ask your blessing now on this time of worship and through the preaching of your word, Lord, and I pray that you've been glorified by the lifting up of our voices and and praise to you, Lord. I pray now that you would move among us and do the work that only you can do as we See what you have for us. Give me strength that I might preach the word true. I thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Got a lot on my heart this morning. A lot of different directions that uh, I've kind of been thinking about through the week as I've spent some time on vacation and getting some rest and relaxation. Although, (laughs) vacations like this, I don't know if they're actually relaxing because you're, for us at least, we're on a tube behind a boat getting beat up and we call that fun. You know, when you throw your back out and your arms are sore from hanging on and, you know, you get your face flushed with water if you hit the water the wrong way. We call it fun and we we enjoy it and you kind of come back a little bit more beat up than when you left and a little bit fried from the sun, but still good to, to go and kind of just uh, relax and spend some time and kind of been thinking about a lot of things and my mind is turned this way as, as of late, so I want to s- hopefully the Lord will, will make it clear. I want to give a little bit of context to these familiar verses. You've heard these, you've heard messages on them, you've probably quoted them yourself to some extent or another. I want to explore what they say a little bit this morning, and I want to give some context. Paul here is writing to defend his position as an apostle. Um, This is actually the third letter to the church at Corinth. We have the first and the third. There was a letter written in between these two, um, and the Lord saw fit to place letters 1 and 3, even though it's called 2 Corinthians. In the first letter, in 1 Corinthians, sin in the church was the problem. They had sin going on, and Paul writes to tell them to address it. Hey, you need to hit this head on. You need to get this guy out. And that's where we get a lot of of our standing on church discipline and the Lord's Supper and things from that very wonderful letter. In the third letter, or the second Corinthians, here, there's a different issue going on. He's, He's kind of having to face a problem that was common among the early church. It was this group that was coming into the churches uh, around this area and beginning and gaining an influence. And maybe you've heard this term before, but we've kind of termed, uh, coined a term for them, Judaizers. 
And what that means is simply uh, people who were professing to be born-again Christians, but were bringing along a, an adherence to the Old Testament law. So you weren't really a, a Christian, you weren't really Christ, you weren't really part of the church, unless you held to all of the Old Testament things. So they were trying to blend the two. And they were gathering quite a following. Uh, the book uh, the letters to the churches of Galatia are written along this line, as, as are places in other books. A blending of this, uh, the law and the church in this kind of service. What was happening was they were departing from the gospel of grace and the service of grace. You understand, every single thing we do in the service for the Lord, whether it's salvation or following Him, it's all because of the grace of God. We deserve none of it. We do none of it by ourselves. Even if we make the right choices, it is because the grace of God allows us to do so. I have no merit in my standing. I have nothing to be proud of. I boast in nothing save for the cross of Christ. That starts in salvation. That continues to the day I stand before Him. Anything we do is because of grace. And what was happening was these guys were coming in and Departing from that, you know, feeling like we are more holy because we do some things or we don't do some, some things more than another person is really appealing to the flesh. We like to feel good. We like to feel holy like we've accomplished something. But what that does is it nullifies grace. It takes it out of the picture. True grace helps us to grow more like Christ, not a list of duos. Do's or do nots. Anyways, these guys coming in would have a certain appeal. Paul, not so much. If you look in verse 2, he talks about uh, people regarding him as if we walked according to the flesh. Verse 10, for his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. I read the letters of Paul and I think of this guy standing here with his great big booming voice and this powerful pulpit presence. That's probably more along the lines of Peter. Paul, not so much. It says right now, right here, is his speech is contemptible or, or uh, weak. His bodily presence is weak. He's probably not like we would think him to be in the flesh. And the church there was considering him only after fleshly looks. His outside appearance did not immediately portray the power of God working in him, right? And Paul is addressing that. He says, you guys are looking on fleshly things. You have to stop. Because this battle we fight is not according to the flesh. We do not war after the flesh. Beloved, expect no less from the world around us when they look at us and say, who are you and what kind of power do you have when we go to meet the enemy in this battle? They're going to look at the churches of God and say, you? You with your small numbers? You with your buildings and your worship? You? That is not at all who I would expect to fight in this battle, but just as the same is with Paul, there's more than meets the fleshly eye, isn't there? And let me just make clear, there is a battle. There is a battle that we are in this morning. Paul states it very simply in verse 3. We walk not after, for we, though we walk in the flesh, though we are living in this flesh, 
We do not war after the flesh. There's a war. There is a battle. Any born-again Christian with any sense can see that there is a battle around us. And it's not just a battle between political parties or, or, or different movements. It's a battle between good versus evil. The, battles, the, the battle is between the forces of good and evil, and it is raging. I think it has become crystal clear in these days that we are um, right in the middle of the battle. It used to be these things were hidden. It used to be behind the scenes. Maybe here and there you'd see evidences of it. Now there is no hiding. The gloves are off. We are in an all-out war. We stand with the Lord on the side of good, and against us is the forces of evil, the movements of Satan, his demonic influence, his demonic powers, all to stop and silence the truth of God. If you don't realize that, your eyes need to open to it really quick. You cannot hide from it. You cannot be neutral in it. We are in this war. In fact, our reluctance to engage in it has caused great damage to the work of God. There's been this thought, especially in the, in, at least in my lifetime in the 90s and the early 2000s, that we didn't get involved in politics, that that was another issue, and it's best if the church stays quiet. Well, look where that has led us. Corrupt leadership all across the land that is decimating biblical principles with a stroke of a pen. We're in a war, and it's time we get in the fight. And I want you to notice some of the terms he uses here. He says, we're in the flesh, but we do not war after the flesh. And we'll come back to some of these, these principles, but I want you to see some of the terms he uses. Verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds. That word means castle or a fortress. And I picture these these things in, um, that are still standing in many countries from medieval times, these, these giant stone structures that are able to be defended you know, with ease because they're massive and they're built of stone, these seemingly impenetrable fortresses. Well, listen, if you stop and look around there can, and consider what's going on, you can see some seemingly, listen to that, seemingly unstoppable and impenetrable movements around us in society. These juggernauts of, of, of idea and thought that just seem to go on and who are we to stand up against them? Well, they didn't get built overnight. I'll say that. They've been building for some time and it's brick by brick. Person by person as they were caught up in these movements. And sadly, that has been done while the church has neglected her work. And they've become quite massive with a global reach. Anti-God movements, anti-Bible movements, anti-absolute truth movements. We live in a day where the only absolute truth is your truth. It's all subjective in what you think. And that has spread across the land. Movements like hot-button issues of our day homosexual marriage, transgenderism. We could go down the list one by one. Things that are very blatantly anti-God, anti-Bible. And we can look at those and the effect that they're having in society and say, well, who are we to stand up against them? 
But it's not just those movements, let me say. There's a movement that's bigger, that, bigger than that, probably where you find most people living. Look in verse 5, at, right in the middle. Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Every high thing, or uh, the thing that considers itself to be lofty, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Beloved, that's everyday people you meet on the street. That's just about everyone you meet. People that live with no care for God, no care for the Bible. They're living to please themselves. They're going to do whatever they want and just leave me alone with your religious stuff. That's a movement, isn't it? In fact, that's where you find most people. Where self is God. Where feelings and thoughts are absolute truth. And here and now is all that matters. We face these kind of strongholds. And these movements have their weapons. Don't don't mistake that. The latest weapon in their arsenal is the cancel culture. Agree with us or we'll cancel you. We'll take you off the map and we'll make it known that you are who you are. And people and companies... And politicians and even some churches have bent over backwards to not be canceled. And they have their reasonings as well. Verse 5 says, casting down imaginations. That word is translated arguments in some um, translations. The The root word means a reckoning or an accounting. A defense. Can I be honest? I really like the King James Version here. Because there's a lot of imaginations that are used as defense. <laughs> Stuff that makes no sense and that is not true. I still, Maybe I sound like a broken record, but there's not a hundred genders. There's not. And you can say that to your blue in the face. It doesn't change the fact that God has created us male and female. But yet people go around saying stuff like this all the time. Things that make no sense, they've just made up. And they take it for truth. I was talking to the young adults class this morning. People like to use a lot of different um, reasons, excuses. doesn't change the truth. Of the Bible. Doesn't change the absolute truth of what God has given us. So they have their weapons, they have their imaginations, they have their strongholds. We are in a battle. And can I say that the enemy is advancing? He's advancing full force now. Can I also say this, and hopefully, hopefully it makes sense. Satan is much better at times. Satan is much better at times than the church at following the structure of the Great Commission. Let me say that again. Satan is much better at times than the church is at following the structure of the Great Commission. For evil, of course, but he does it. Disciple someone, bring them in, 
teach them what to think. Repeat. Over and over and over, Satan has done this and continues to do this. He does it by media. He does it by um, society. You can't turn anywhere nowadays without that kind of stuff coming at you, right? Wouldn't it be great if the gospel was that way? If the church was so on fire, you couldn't turn around without hearing about Jesus Christ as Savior. We're too busy. I'm just so tired to witness all. Let somebody else do that. I've got other things to do. Meanwhile, Satan hasn't stopped, has he? Disciple after disciple after disciple, movement after movement after movement built. And he's starting young. He's starting with kids in school, with the curriculum that they're taught, and media indoctrination. I don't know if you've seen it. Have, have you seen the new song that's out on Nickelodeon? The Pride Song. On a kid's network that teaches them about the colors of the pride flag and how each group is wonderful and okay. and It's disgusting. Sung, by the way, by a drag queen, a man in woman's clothing, standing up there teaching our young kids who we set in front of these things for hours on end, by the way, because we're a little too busy to engage with our kids, telling them this stuff is okay. Not to mention the lifestyle the world is pushing on around them. You know, we just got back from a place that's known for its parties, especially on weekends, Lake Havasu. And we try to stay in a place down south that is away from the bridge. I don't even think I went to the bridge this, this uh, week instead, except for to eat in a car. Um, but we, uh, we had the lake pretty much to ourselves all week. We decided to stay another night, Friday night. They started rolling in. And I'm watching golf carts driving around one after the other, full of teenagers with beers in their hand, talking about taking shots and other things I don't want to mention from the pulpit. It's insane. All the time I'm thinking, where are the parents? They didn't pull a trailer here by themselves. Or the, Where are the parents and, and, and what is going on? Well, I probably can answer that question. But... I'm looking at this, and this is normal to some people. And beloved, it's not the kids' fault. They're the victims. They're the victims. Most often, they're the victims of parents that are too busy with their own pursuits to be involved with their own children. Success and value and affection equals stuff. That's what... That's what uh, they, they place on these values on these things, so they have to get more stuff, and they got to go work longer hours to get more stuff. Meanwhile, leaving their kids alone and vulnerable, something will fill the vacuum, and Satan is there ready to instruct in his own way. And it's much easier to 
throw kids in front of something or give them a cell phone or give them a tablet or throw them in front of the TV than it is to stop and drop everything that you're doing and engage them on their level. Beloved, we're in a fight for our children. It's time we ought to start placing more importance on the important things. Like molding our young kids and teaching them what is right and what is wrong and giving them a sense of value so they don't have to go search for it somewhere else. You realize this, parents, we're in a war. And it's not a war to add extra digits to our paychecks or extra cars to our garage. It's in a, we are in a war for the souls of our children. It's starting there and it just keeps going from every angle. Whether you're a husband or wife, a young woman, a young man, Part of the older generation, it doesn't matter. Satan is advancing to try to instruct you and disciple you and to get you away from the war. And it just seems like he's growing louder and bolder. And it just seems like he's gaining steam. And compared to some of these movements, we don't look like much, do we? In fact, we can get grasshopper syndrome. That's the same syndrome as the uh, children of Israel had looking in the promised land. Remember that? The The 12 spies who went in? And they go and they see all this great things God had for them. All they had to do was walk in and get it. That's what the Lord said. Just go get it. I'm going to give it to you. But they saw the giants. They said the people... They're too big, and we look just like little grasshoppers in their sight. We can't do it. Do we get that way of thinking? As we look out in the world and in society and these movements, and we say, what can we do against it? Well, beloved, let me remind you, verse 3, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. There is more to this battle than what is seen, because we don't fight on fleshly terms. This is a spiritual battle, and we must understand that. And let me remind you this morning, we are on the winning side. And that changes everything. Because this is a spiritual battle, that changes the whole dynamic. Look in verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We don't use swords. We don't use spears. We don't use uh, crafty thoughts. No. Our weapons are spiritual and they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You see the power there? It's not mighty through us. It's not because of our skill or our ability. We are mighty and we are powerful because the power comes from God, not us. And this is not some latent power. You understand that? I don't... don't, we get so used to hearing some of these terms that we, we talk about the power of God in us. We think, oh, that's nice. That's cute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. The same power that spoke everything into existence is in us. The same power that with a thought everything can be obliterated works in us. This is God we're talking about. And he says, the weapons of our warfare are mighty through him. 
And this root word for mighty is where we get our word dynamite from. Explosive power. The power of God that is given to work in and through us. And He's given us some weapons, you know that? So what are these weapons? Let's consider this for just a short time as we move to a close. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, a familiar passage to you. Another place where Paul is speaking along this level. We get some insight into this battle. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. (laughs) Again, a reminder that it's His might. We're strong in Him. It's not of my ability or our ability. We go to face the enemy in the power of the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We're only, our only strength and our only sufficiency is in Him. Verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We might pick out individuals whom we seem not to like and and uh, we may butt heads with in our own life, or they may oppose us in our own life. You, you understand? You've got to look past that to the forces behind it, the forces of evil. Whether it's in politics, whether it's in everyday life, we are seeing the influence of Satan and his forces. Verse 13, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. There's so much we could pull. We're going to move for time's sake. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Listen, he's talking about attributes of a godly soldier. Things that we need to have in place in our life. Truth is the core. Righteousness that protects us. The gospel that gives us firm foundation. Faith that shields us. Look in verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation. Listen, this, is, this I want to stop and spend just a little bit of time on. You've got to have your head straight as you go into this battle. You've got to have your head straight. A clear and a protected mind. Because Satan is going to try to mess with it. He's going to try to throw everything at you to to get you off of the foundation of truth. But the fact that the Lord loves us enough to save us and to call us protects us against that. The renewed mind sees past the facade and sees that we are standing on the higher ground. Look in verse 17. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's the weapons He's given us. The sword of the Spirit. The Word of God. The Word that is alive, that is able to pierce between the soul and the Spirit and to to lay us open to the One who has to see all things, as Hebrews chapter 4 says, to, to lay us open to the truth of God, to open our eyes. The Word which is absolute truth. Do you know why society hates absolute truth? 
because it is the one thing that tears all of their walls down. There is no such thing as homosexual marriage. That is an absolute truth of God. There is no such thing as a transgender person. That is the absolute truth of God. They will call things like I've just said, hate speech. They call me a bigot and a racist, though I said nothing about any color. Why do they lash out? Because it's true. It's true. They cannot disprove it. Science cannot disprove it. And they hate that. Because immediately, with one or two simple verses, they're right in the beginning of the Word of God. In the beginning, God created a male and female. Nothing's changed about that. But that right there, the foundation of the whole castle, and it all crumbles by the absolute truth of the Word of God. You see, I don't, I don't need some deep scientific argument. I don't, I don't need to spend days writing up a paper. I just need to know what the Word says to use it skillfully, and it takes down strongholds. It casts down imaginations, and every high thing that is, exalts itself against God, the truth of God cuts out sin, it cuts out human thinking, and it lays us bare to the truth of God. That's why the world hates it. And that is why that's the only weapon we need. You know, when I go to face this world, this is all I need. Now, whether my faith is in it or not, that's a separate issue. I may think I need a machine gun of mercy. That'd be, that'd be something else now, wouldn't it? I may think I need some other, other kind of, why didn't the Lord give us this or that? Why a... Why the sword? Why a sword? It's not even a broadsword. See, I would like a sword that's like six foot long. I swing over my head and just make a path as I go into the world. No, that's not the word he uses. He uses a dagger, a makaira, something you got to use with skill. Why just that? Because that's all we need. Because that simple, the simple truth of God, as the Spirit goes with it and the Spirit does the work we cannot do, it cuts down every lie. It wins every battle every time. That's all we need because it's the power of God. It casts down the false arguments, it calls out the prideful hearts. And along with prayer, in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit which is our direct link to our Father. We have everything that we need through Him, in Him, in His power, in His might. We have everything we need to fight the battle ahead of us. We just have to be in the fight. No one would call a soldier good if he ran the other way when the forces came. No one would call a soldier good if he stood around looking at the battle around him, yet never lifted his own sword. Yet sometimes I think that's what the church does. Sometimes I think that's what we do too often. We need to rise and fight the enemy as the people of God. To the world who may seem like nothing, 
But we know the power of these weapons. We know the power of the Word of God. We know the power of the truth. We know the power of the Spirit, the power of prayer, because we've watched them change our own lives, haven't we? I once was lost on my own way to hell, not knowing God, not caring for the things of God, but someone preached the Word. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And the Spirit used that Word to enlighten me to my lost condition and open my eyes to my own eternal damnation, and at the same time to the Savior crucified for me who took my place and bore my sins that I might be saved. And I believe that word that was preached. And it was through a prayer that I was saved. I know the power of these weapons, these things that the world might say are too simple or are powerless. I know that they change our eternity. And you know the same, don't you? You know the power of the Word of God. You know the power of prayer. And I know that if they've changed my life, they can change everyone in the world around me. You see, how, how do you take down a castle? The same way it's built, brick by brick. And you realize the strongholds that we are talking about, the imaginations and the high thoughts, we're going to face those most within an individual. Within the people that we meet who have built up strongholds and arguments and high thoughts within themselves. We meet that with, with what God has given us and we tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ and we show them with the word. And we pray fervently we as do, fervently as we do those and we tell of the truth and the fellowship of His people. We let God do the rest. And He will use that word, He will use that truth and His Spirit to change hearts. It's God alone who can speak to the dead. It's God alone who can open blind eyes as He did for us. You use what He has given us, these, these spiritual weapons, and you watch Him do what only He can do, and you watch Him pull down strongholds person by person by person as they come to faith in Christ and they follow Him. You watched arguments. You watch arguments be cast down. Exalted thoughts be humbled. And thoughts that were once anti-God and self-consumed, as the Scripture says, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You watch those high exalted thoughts be brought under Christ and glorify and praise Him. Lives can be changed, people saved, and movements stopped by the power of God in us. But we've got to be in the fight and about the battle. That's the problem. I look back on so many people that have come across my path and gone that I failed to share the gospel with as I should have. I had the chance, I knew. And yet I didn't. For whatever reason, we can fill in the blanks why we don't.
How many times has the church done that over and over and over and let these things build in the world when we could have seen lives changed? People saved. People come to Christ. If we would have been in the fight using the Word of God and let the Spirit do, letting the Spirit do the work and change hearts. Satan has used our apathy to his advantage. Our lack of care, our lack of concern, our self-centeredness at times, he's used that to his advantage, and look what he's done. There is a boldness that Paul uses here in our text. A confidence He knows what God can do because he's seen it done. And he's imparting that same confidence, that same boldness to the church at Corinth to say, hey, the, the battle that we fight is not according to fleshly eyes. There's something deeper. There's a deeper power that is at work. So let's get up and go work and go fight in the power of God because we are able to overcome the enemy." The question is, well, am I? Are you? Are we engaging in this or are we just existing? Kind of just going along with the flow. As we look on the world and see the things that are happening, I pray that we don't look out on it in fear as in... um, being intimidated or being scared of, of facing these things fed on, uh, head on. Again, I say we're on the winning side with the power of God working in us. That is the absolute truth of Scripture. The power of Almighty God can bring these down one by one if we would go boldly and be in the fight. You know how this looks in your own life. You know the battles that are being fought and the people that you are around and the things maybe you need to step up in and engage with. And I simply ask you, are you doing what you should? Are you engaging those fights as God would have you to? Because you have the weapons you need. We have what we need to be victorious. We have what we need through the power of God. We just have to use them. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would use these words that have been spoken words that are in your absolutely true word and you would help help them to sink deep into our hearts lord that we would go into this world as as lights shining as lights in the darkness and we would be ready to fight this good fight that you have called us to to engage with the word as you have given us and your spirit as as you convict and enlighten and open eyes lord and I pray that you would give us boldness in this, that even in this day of evil, that you would help us to stand even brighter and even bolder, that we would fight for your biblical truth and fight to see people saved in in our lives and to witness and to do all the things that you have called us to do, Lord. So please now move among us, show us where we might lack and give us confidence where we need it. Use this as you see fit. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.